0: Hey everyone, got an awesome interview for you today with Sean Maslick, the host of the Most Hated F Word podcast. Sean and I uh, share a common admiration for Bruce Springsteen, so we nerded out on that for a bit, but we also talked about family and finances and uh, why we are the way we are around money. I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. Sean Maslick, welcome to the REI Dad podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Wayne really appreciate it
0: I've, uh, I've been looking forward to having you on for well probably since the moment we met um, you did a presentation yeah. and you opened it up by asking are there any Bruce Springsteen fans in the audience <laughs> 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 and I wish you could I, I wish you would have could have seen me when I reacted to that like my eye just lit right up <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan and I have not met anyone else in my lifetime who's A, a Bruce Springsteen fan, or B, like, you're you're the same age as me. I didn't think that that was possible.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I remember asking that question, and I think I said boss, and you were just like, yeah, Yeah. and I was like, oh, he really, he does know. And, And, well, you said, are there any
0: boss fans? And I'm like, like, Hugo Boss?
1: Like, (laughs) like he can't be talking about Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) Yeah, I, I was... I usually get crickets, especially in the third year olds. Uh, but when you told me that, uh, yeah, instantly, it was just like uh, the way you said, how did you just say that? You're like, the, when we first met, it kind of sounded like we had a, a relationship going just because of Bruce.
0: <laughs> did we just become best friends?
1: I know. Yeah, <laughs> we did. And then I interrupted your podcast because I was too excited to talk about Bruce.
0: That's, that's I, right. I was recording, but <laughs> obviously we're going to definitely talk more about Bruce later on. Um, got to. Yes. Sean Maslick. You're a financial planner. You're a presenter. Yep. You're a real estate investor and the host of the new podcast, The Most Hated F Word, mm-hmm. which is? Finance. Finance.
1: It's not Finance. failure or farting. It's finances. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how was my introduction? Did I cover everything?
1: You, you covered it all. You did. You did a great job.
0: Okay. Awesome. So, where did you yeah. grow up?
1: Uh, so I grew up... Outside of uh, Edmonton, in Mornville, small town, Alberta. Actually, not that small, about seven thousand people. But uh, well, we came in the city often, so it, I'd say Edmonton area. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And when did you decide that you wanted to be a financial planner?
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> why? <laughs> <laughs> why? Yeah. So I, my parents were both teachers, and they never really pressured me into having to go to university, but there was this kind of just a notion that education is important. And I, I just felt like that was my script to go to university. So I signed up for what every, I guess young male who really doesn't know what they want to do. I signed up for business because business people made money and I was interested in money at that point in my life already. And, uh, I started, going to business school and really didn't know what I wanted to do other than I had this vision of sitting in like a corner office, downtown Edmonton, having nicely pressed suits and making money. Mm-hmm. Um, at 18 years old, that seemed pretty cool. But, um, it actually my third year, uh, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, but we started, uh, spending more time in this city having meeting new people in the city from like all different parts of the world mournville we we were we were strictly uh ukrainian farmers (laughs) and uh (laughs) and so the diversity wasn't there especially on the food side so we started eating this glorious food in edmonton from all around the world and it just got us thinking about how big this world is so i went to my wife and i was like you know what let's just quit this school thing and let's go travel Mm-hmm. She's like really? And it, she happened to be in between two different uh, programs. So we ended up quitting. Uh, we worked for like six months doing construction work, which was out of our wheelhouse, but we saved up 30,000, about $33,000 and went traveling around the world. And that's, I'm going back to your question about why did I want to become financial planners? That oh, it was over a year we went to around 16 different countries. We did scuba diving. We flew so many internal flights. We just really, really experienced life for all like really not that expensive, $33,000 for two people to just do whatever we want to do that day. And I realized when my friend bought a car around the same time for about like $27,000 that I just went around the world literally around the world. We started in Vancouver and ended in Halifax, but we like took the really long way. And it was about the same price. So it just fascinated me that, wait, I need to learn how to spend better. So I like came home, consumed all these books about personal finances. And it really felt like all I was learning is how to make money, how to invest money. But there's no books that I was really looking for and like how to spend money. And um, through that rabbit hole books, I ended up, thinking like investments are cool and sexy and it sounds so neat, all these like wall street people. So from there I went into uh, the financial planning career, got a designation financial planning. And um, to be honest, I lost my zest for this idea of how to spend money. How do I spend money on things that I actually care about? Like unlike utility bills Mm -hmm. um, we were spending money, like all this money on utility bills and mortgages and car payments. And I, my wife and I just kept thinking like, why are we doing this? But yeah. So I guess to answer your question, me trying to figure out how to spend money properly led me to personal finance books on investing, which led me to go into financial planner.
0: Mm. And, and so what does a financial planner do? I mean, how uh, would you describe it?
1: A financial planner. There's a whole bunch of different, um, terms for my career. Um, but as I'm a certified financial planner. So our role is to look at the whole financial picture. Sometimes people just focus on an investment, but basically we help organize and make someone's financial life. Um, we offload the stress that comes with that to help plan a predictable path for retirement, which is part of the why I started Most Hate effort. It's because is there anything predictable about life? Not really.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and And like, so a certified financial planner is big on, Expectations, predictions, interest rate, investments—all these like external things—that I'm starting to realize, and that's where the most hated F word comes in. Is that sure they're important? But if if whatever is happening underneath the water, so to speak, if you look at an iceberg, if underneath yeah. that isn't like isn't at a good state, or um, we don't know what we actually want with that money. I'm I'm starting to realize that you can have all the money in the world and you're not going to be happy. So Mm -hmm. I'm kind of going off a different way, but so our financial planning role is to help people retire at age 65 or whatever. But the more and more I start to experience money and the relationships we have with it, I'm starting to um, just push the boundaries or say, "Hey, Hey, wait, wait, should we actually just, set this like 45 page document, financial plan, throw it in the drawer and say, here we go. Here's your financial plan. Good luck. Right. Or should we start to look at things underneath the water? And what do you actually value? And that's kind of getting me, getting me back to that whole idea of when I went on that trip, like we didn't spend that much money really like idle families spend way more than that in Canada, just maintaining their expenses. Right. But we were like flourishing. So now the most hate effort is like an experience on how do we understand What's underneath the iceberg? What are our true values? What do we actually want out of life? And then how can we make financial life decisions based on that? As opposed to just this, you want $2 million. Let's, let's start saving now. I mean, $2 million is great, but if I'm miserable and I don't really know what I want, I don't know, maybe 2 million bucks isn't worth it.
0: Mm-hmm. You got to be looking at your lifestyle. Right. And, and, and I like the, I liked the, the most hated F word and I'm sure, if we can be honest, it's probably not very popular at first because a lot of people don't like to talk about their finances. Right.
1: No.
0: Um, but I think that education is, is a great way to shine a light on it. And and I like mm-hmm. the fact that you started educating, you know, you're doing presentations, you're doing blogs. Now you got the podcast. So, you know, what is your goal from the most hated F word?
1: You know what? I, I don't, I've been asked this so many times. And I was like, I'm, I think it's therapy for me. I think I'm yeah. like a, I'm like a, <laughs> and I say that because like, after that trip, like I said, I was just like, so bound and determined to learn how to spend money properly. What role does money play in my life? And then I fell into the vortex of like the rat race, so to speak. I had seven years in a corporate job where I was just pounding out emails <laughs> late at night thinking I'm just doing the best job ever. And I was being a great employee, but um, I was a financial planner. I had a lot of education. I had books after books, like hundreds of personal finance books read, but yet I was getting stressed out by money. I was making my money mistakes and I'm a certified financial planner saying that, yes, we everyone makes money mistakes. We're not immune to that. And I was like, wait, I have all this information, but yet I'm still making these mistakes. Then I started looking at more and more uh, like macro level of the, like the money system in Canada and research is like, is is insane to see that right now it's about forty two percent of Canadians rank money as the top stress in their life so like mm-hmm. the top stressor so almost fifty percent and after that is relationships and work but the research shows that work people feel undervalued and they should get paid more so money related and in yeah. family lives money is this constant thing that we don't talk about so like. Money impacts us every single day, but it's the taboo subject like you refer to that we can't talk about. And more and more people getting stressed and we're becoming more and more poor. So that's what's kind of laid me this education thing like you're saying. It's like, what is going on? We have more information ever before, podcasts, internet, Google, um, but yet we're getting more stressed and we're becoming more in debt every single year. And that's where I'm going back to this traditional financial planning has always been this external thing. Like what interest rate can you get? What investments can you get? What are the coolest, sexiest new investments? But maybe if we haven't got the internal dialogue going, the internal game of our own selves, maybe that's not where we're not retaining this information. Mm -hmm. And so the most hated effort is kind of going back to like, Hey, what is your money relationship? Do you know you have a money relationship? And a good question I think is kind of fun to ask people. It's like, first off, we all have a money relationship. And if you examined your money relationship and how you treat that relationship, would you date yourself? Mm. And most, and most people say no, because they <laughs> neglect it. They stick their head in the sand. They want to avoid it. They just don't look at it.
0: Right. And, and as something I want to talk to you about was, was the money relationship or, or your money story. And I want to ask what that's all about and, f- and feel free to actually, if you want, use me as an example, you know, how yeah. would you typically have a conversation with someone about this to kind of, to open their eyes towards it?
1: yeah uh, first one thing is i don 't have any uh professional training in any sort of therapy but i'm I like to just have fun so yeah
0: yeah for sure so
1: if, if i if i if I ask the wrong question to mess you up i 'm sorry but, um, <laughs> if i start crying <laughs> yeah um, but this is something that actually um was a huge eye-opening for me is when, like I said, I had this education, I had this uh, professional designation, I work with clients of money, but yet I was making money mistakes often, enough Mm -hmm. that I was like, what's, what is happening? And it was when I started realizing that we have these money scripts or these money beliefs that were formed when we were young, like three, four, five years old and in our formative years. And -hmm. there's some really good research out from Dr. Brad Klontz that, um, he's spent years studying this, but essentially all of us have a money script that was formed in childhood. And it, now unconsciously impacts how we think act and feel towards money and often we have no idea it's happening but it mm-hmm. is happening and it's those subtle biases that um that we feel when we get a bill and it might you know it might turn our stomach or we might be a different money script that just can't stand having outstanding payments so we pay that right away but it's all based on our upbringing and um when left on alone, loan I meaning like if we don't go back to think about hey why do I act this way? Like, why do I think money is status? Um, I, I was chatting to someone the other day and he, he had said that he always feels like he needs to buy things. He knows it's not good. He has to buy the new car to fit in the neighborhood, has to buy uh, fancy clothes, even though he knows he can get the same pair of jeans for half price. But he said like something in him has always been telling him, you've got to do this to show people you've made it. Mm-hmm. And then we started talking about this and he's like, Holy smokes. Cause one of the money scripts that Dr. Klontz is Determined is money status, meaning you believe money is status, and he 's like, my dad growing up, spent so much time working, and he started to show his love by just buying me stuff, buying me the nicest hockey gear, buying me this, so I attribute love to to give him like status mm-hmm. and now like he 's starting to realize that that 's not serving him well so um well, I guess I'll ask you. So as a kid, what do you mm-hmm. do you remember if money was a source of stress, excitement, um like hush hush can't talk about it.
0: I I think it I think it was I think I'd say excitement. Um very very similar to the previous mm-hmm. example you used the, guy, the the guy you were talking to. Um, you know, mm-hmm. dad was very focused on work and whenever he was around it was um, you know, he'd always made sure that we had the best things. We're always had to make sure we had what we needed and, and a lot of what we wanted. Um, so I respected money in that sense. Um, I'd say, I'd say excitement.
1: Excitement. And then, uh, looking back, do you, do you guys have any money mottos? Like can't save for a rainy day or, um, oh. spend it, spend it if you got it or I can't.
0: <laughs> the stereotypical money doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> money
1: doesn't grow in trees. right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, looking back, what, what biggest lessons do you think you learned from your parents, either positive or negative?
0: Well, uh, money management wasn't the greatest for, from a surface level, obviously you're a child, right. Mm-hmm. And, and they're probably going to listen yeah. to this, but, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you know, it, it wasn't easy. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we weren't we didn't have a big you know, Scrooge McDuck pool where we were just, you know, uh, diving into money. Like we, we struggled at times. And, mm. uh, and, and to, be, to be completely honest, I, I forget your question.
1: <laughs> um, what was the biggest lessons that you learned either positive or negatively around money from your upbringing?
0: I, I would say uh, positively. It was, it was kind of um, a lesson of what not to do. If, if, mm. you know, I would say, um, there wasn't a whole lot of money management. There's no savings. Um, and that ultimately kind of led me down the path of where I am today. Um, Mm -hmm. it kind I kind of refracted or reflected, Mm -hmm. um, I'm from. Yeah. See, that's
1: interesting that, I mean, that's interesting that you say there's, there wasn't too many money savings and now you're running a podcast on, you know, how to, how to make money through real estate or, um, I think that's the essence of your podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't want to put, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> which is great. Cause often the research shows is people will either go the opposite way or just adopt that. And, and yeah, and, 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 and what you mentioned about your parents might listen to this and which I think is so good. And a lot of the research that uh, Dr. Klontz does is that there's no good or bad or proper way to like what our parents could have done. They did what mm-hmm. they can. It's the fact of us. Absolutely. just reckon, Recognizing that, Hey, that's, That's actually the tendency that I have Mm -hmm. and can I change that? Or can I just be aware of it? Because even more of an impact is when you get married. Um, how long have you guys been married? Uh, what year is it? Uh, eight years. Yeah. Same as us. Yeah.
0: 2012. Yeah. That's when I got married. Which month? Uh, July.
1: Oh, same. All right.
0: Let's narrow it down. One in 30 chance. Uh, we were, uh, July. Oh crap. Uh, july 4th no 6th july 6th july 6th wow that was close
1: yeah that was sorry we were 14th and you're like july 4 i'm like no way
0: <laughs> uh, that is so close the,
1: the interesting thing about money like our money scripts and our money stories is it's an internal battle amongst ourselves like as an mm-hmm. individual but then you add this other person into the mix and how long were you guys dating before you got married uh we were dating we met in 2008 so four years four years and did you ever ask her how do you manage money how much debt do you have what do you feel like when you get a pay Are you think i'm crazy (laughs) yeah i know it's (laughs) (laughs) and the the wild part of it is then we get married and we figure all this stuff out later and then we don't talk about it so Mm -hmm. it just often it it's just like living there with us unconsciously and we're tiptoeing around it. It causes arguments and fights. And I say that from a personal perspective is my wife and I, we have uh, different perspectives on money. We came from different uh, backgrounds cause we weren't brother and sister. So we had different parents, um, which is obvious, but, uh, and as a financial guy, I even have a, I even overcompensated And Like, what do you, you know? I know what I'm talking about. But I, I, I mean, I realize now that that's not the right way to communicate at all. But uh, it's just so interesting to me that couples come together. And we don't have these money conversations. So right. I'm curious, your wife, um, do you know much about her upbringing in terms of how money was framed, um, lessons that she would have learned growing up?
0: I think um, they were a little more frugal. Um, you know, mom always cooked all the meals. And I think they were really good with their money. Um, a, a very different from my upbringing. Cause I, I feel like mine was, there was lots of money coming in but it was just going out just as quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think they were a little more responsible with their money.
1: Mm. And how's that impacted you guys now? Like, have,
0: like these different stories, different
1: perspectives, different realities.
0: Uh, yeah, it, it impacted us quite a bit because we were both very, very different, especially when we first met, you know, um, when I first got into my working career, it was just all about making the most money possible. That was my, that was my belief, right? right? Yeah. And then I quickly realized it was going just, and I, I can't, this isn't sustainable, right? Yeah. And that's what kind of led me on the journey of, of being more money conscious, right? Um, Uh and we, we kind of developed that together. We were, we were both on the same page. It it, I think we came from, with different perspectives, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, we're, we're on the same page now as we kind of learned at the same time.
1: It's interesting you say that I was just reading this paper last night, this, um, article from a money psychologist and they talked about how, um, when we get married, if we don't talk about money before most people don't when we come together, they often do like separate bank accounts. And it's kind Mm -hmm. of like, I kind of trust you, but I don't really trust you. And just in case I got like my parachute to get out of here. Um, but the, the intent of the paper was to, based on their research show that most people have success in like marriage and dealing with money. This was based on money when they have a, a we identity and like you saying we're on the same page, um, it's just speaking to what that article was saying. So I'm just curious because I'm sure you have a lot of listeners who are couples and doing real estate together is um what did you, What like I'm just putting you on spot, but what do you think yeah. you guys did to get on the same page? Cause that, that's a, a big an accomplishment in and of itself.
0: itself. Uh, you know, like I said, like we started, we were both at the peak of our careers and we were making the most that we were ever going to make. Right. Mm-hmm. And in realizing that we were still living paycheck to paycheck because we just kept, Um, we kept increasing what we were willing to spend, you know, as, as the money continued to grow. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we just had a moment where, you know, some breakthrough moment, which I can't quite remember, which is Mm -hmm. shocking me, um, where we realized that we needed to hold each other more accountable. And like you said, we were the, the, the two checking accounts, you have your money, Mm -hmm. I have my money, we both contribute. And then that's your money, that's your money and, and you spend yours and, Mm -hmm it just didn't quite make any sense. Cause no one was holding, we weren't able to hold each other accountable. So when we put our money together mm-hmm. and we put our budget mm-hmm. out and then, you know, we set aside money for savings or investments. Right. Um, that's when we were able to look at it at the end of the month and say, okay, you spent this, you spent this. And we started with allowances, but that mm-hmm. didn't really work out because uh, for whatever reasons we needed to change our, our mindset as yeah. to, you know, what was acceptable. Mm-hmm. And once we started holding each other accountable as to like, Hey, you spent that much money, it kind of, it it, it prevents me from making those decisions instinctively uh, while I'm out, right? Yeah. Amazon or convenience store, whatever it may be.
1: (laughs) Whatever's like trying to get in her pockets. Yeah. Um, And and I think that's, what's good. And like, I mean, there's never a way, I mean, they call it personal finance for a reason. It's personal, Mm -hmm. but I think like when a big thing that I'm through all the readings is communication and having a process is what's really important and not being afraid to, uh, talk to each other about, Hey, I'm feeling this way around money or I'm feeling this way around how, you know, you're treating me with money or vice versa. Um, uh, yeah, it seems like those are uh, communication and empathy in the whole, like, uh, your money system is having that communication, having that empathy, sets people up for success. Like I know there's, there's information out there. It's like, you got to do it this way, this way, this way, but you know, it's never that was my one next question. Success. Yeah.
0: Was, is, is there a specific way that you can approach your significant other or is it personal?
1: I, I mean, again, this is my opinion. That's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, based on what I've read, what I've done, what I've tried to do, what I've failed at doing. Um, and, and a lot of research is it's personal. You, you know, everyone has a different environment, but the consistent um, input for success is understanding a yourself, like what is my money relationship? Why do I have these tendencies? Why do I have to go buy on Amazon if I get stressed? Or why, you know, why am I hoarding money? Um, mm. When people go back and start to realize, oh, it's because money was scarce in my household. Now I'm hoarding money and I'm judging my spouse for not hoarding money because I feel like that is the right way. Maybe, maybe it's not the right way. So I think number one for everyone is just understanding your own individual money belief, money script, and then with the spouse is just communicating with them. Here's what I believe. And then together, like you said, to get on that same page is somehow getting on the same page as it's a we um, journey. Mm-hmm. and i think based on the research that i've been reading it's that's the the only consistent that you can do but not like you need to or one check in accounts for this and that i mean right. that's going to vary
0: especially with marriage that's you got to be you got to tiptoe around that right because if you try to yeah. force something on the other one um you know that could really be detrimental <laughs> do you think it you know that just with,
1: doesn't work hey <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> do you think it would like forcing things
1: just don't seem to work does it <laughs> <laughs>
0: Do you think it's important for someone to have like a breakthrough moment like you did when you, when you traveled the world or like me, whatever that breakthrough moment was that, that woke moment where you're like, wow, oh crap, I'm doing this. I need to change. Do you need to hit a rock bottom or do you need to have an event in order to, to kind of be woke to the, the idea of sound financial, you know, decisions?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So Um, Just going back to this Dr. Brad Collins, this guy's phenomenal, but he calls those financial flashpoints. So -hmm. like something happened has changed your perspective. And I think it's important to, to, and I speak personally and from his research to have those moments to some degree, sometimes they're not big travel around the world. It could just be like, I read a quote and it completely changed my lens. Mm -hmm. But, but the, the reason why it's important is because we all have these old stories, um, these old stories of ourselves and they go unconsciously in the back of our minds all the time. Like, for example, when I was a kid, I was super shy and uh, I hated it. I hated it. I wanted to talk, but whatever. Um, That story when I left it alone, like I tried to just not be shy and it works temporarily. But what I'm starting to realize is that without going back to that story and recognizing that I've changed a lot since I was seven years old, 34, that's a lot of years, but without taking the time to go back and having like a flashpoint or a reason that I'm like, Hey, I need to change this. I think we don't change. And the problem with that is like, physically we change we have kids we have get married there's all these changes that are happening but our brain if we're not going deep into the brain to change then we're gonna have a two disconnect we're gonna have what we want but some reason the will or the underlying motive behind us isn't keeping up with that change so that's why i think these flashpoints are important where it just gets us to question the whole thing and honestly um i say this with being very much very mindful of, there's a lot of people struggling right now. There's a lot Mm. of people who are going to be ill, who are ill. There's deaths. People are going to have family that are impacted by the COVID-19. But right now it's so interesting that it's almost like a flashpoint right now for the world is that there's a pause and it gives us this moment to be like, Hey, am I actually spending my finite time on the things that I actually want to? And this could be a financial flashpoint Mm from a life flashpoint for many people. But so uh, my long-winded way of saying, yeah, I think it's important to have these flashpoints that give us the motivation. I mentioned the iceberg before, but often we operate on that surface level of what's above the iceberg or above the water—you know, the tip—but mm-hmm. it's the the our thoughts, our values, our feelings all below the iceberg that require that flashpoint for us to actually dive deep and actually feel that. Yes, and I equate it to like often we get motivated. And like, we read a quote or we go to see a speaker and we get motivated and then we're like, I'm changing everything, vision board, this, this, but then we wake up and we're like back to the same old story. So I think it's flash, go right back to the pattern. Yeah, exactly. So my last thing I'll say about it, I think the flash points or those moments help us break the patterns or question the patterns and evaluate if we still want them. Mm -hmm. So
0: obviously from there, you you want to start developing new routines, right? To create new patterns, ideally for sure.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's, uh, I, I can't remember a quote, but it was something about like our life is an accumulation of our habits mm-hmm. and you can either be intentional with those habits and like create these habits or the habits will happen to you. Mm. And I think that those flashpoints help us be like, Hey, no, I want to, I want to be, a, I don't know. Uh, I want to build rocket ships for living. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then we got to design these routines and habits to actually compete against um, Elon Musk to build a better rocket ship, which might be hard, but, but yes.
0: <laughs> and there's ego, right? Yeah. Oh, and ego Money plays a huge part. Money yeah. and ego, right?
1: Money and ego. And that's, I mean, marketers have done a great job of tapping into our egos. And I mm-hmm. think there once COVID-19 comes back, they're going to dive right into those egos being like, you need this now. You need this new clothes. You need all this consumer stuff. You need this because your egos, you know, they're just going to, I feel like try to play up the ego. Whereas, cause right now we're just, it doesn't matter what our ego is saying. We don't have to show off anything because we're at home <laughs> unless we need to show off against our kids, but.
0: Uh, not to get too controversial, but don't you think that it's important? I think that, I think that we, we need to be, hyper consumers in order to keep the market stimulated though. Don't we, if everybody had made great financial decisions, do you think we'd have a great market?
1: Yeah, I, <laughs> this goes to a de- like uh, of like, what are we evaluating? Mm-hmm. And that's a whole thing. Like the, uh, um, actually did a podcast with, um, uh, Mark analiski, I always say his last name, wrong, but, uh, he's an economist of well-being. And he was talking to me about the origins of wealth and it's actually, um, well-being. And so I guess that that's Mark would love to have a question about a conversation about that, but his (laughs) idea is like, what are we evaluating in our outputs? Is output just profit? Is output just companies making a profit? Um, or is there more to this? And is this great so to speak, pause showing us that, hey, maybe profits aren't the only thing, but I am not an economist. And yeah. um, I agree that we need, we need small businesses. We need economic stimulus to make things go, but, but maybe we don't need that much. Maybe we don't right. need like companies making billions of dollars a quarter and not paying taxes on it. Um, mm-hmm. Like maybe, maybe we've gone too much to the other end. And this is just like helping us be like, Hey, going back to that inner game, like maybe I can be happy without, having to buy all these other things sure can um, uh, help me fulfill things like buying things. I certainly agree. Like I, I view money as a, a an ingredient to the recipe for fulfillment. Mm-hmm. So like it's essential, like doing a podcast, I'm doing a podcast now. I need to buy a mic. Like uh, uh, we need money to be happy, but I think it's understanding the internal game. What's going to make us happy. And mm-hmm. I think that that consumerism sometimes can just blind us. So I, I agree with you. We need that stimulus, but, maybe controlled or conscious.
0: Right. standing. Absolutely. And and I want to rewind back to, you know, the patterns that are developed early in early stages of our life. Um, because you're a father, you have a son, right?
1: Mm-hmm. How old's your son? Four. Just turned four. Two years Just ago. turned four.
0: Mine's turned and one year
1: old daughter. Oh, awesome. That's yeah. amazing. Um, Wait, when's yours turning four? Are you uh, say?
0: She turns five, she turns five next month. Oh, nice.
1: <laughs>
0: but, um, so, as a parent as a woke you know financial planner um what kind of a story are you writing for your kids can you write a story you know, you know on your yeah. or, or or do you have to let them write it themselves
1: that is a good question and i recently had an experience as you said that like my my like actually hair stood on my body mm-hmm. um and because, like, it's such a powerful question, and this whole uh, COVID nineteen thing has actually challenged me. I feel to be a better father, and I say that because my wife, she um, she's a teacher at McEwen University, and they've been tasked with putting everything online. So she's been working a lot, and um, I've been the care, like, primary caregiver for the last four weeks, and it's been uh, it's been amazing, but it's actually been. I've realized I've never spent this much time with my kids and I felt like I've always been an involved dad and my dad was very involved and I appreciate that. And I always wanted that, but it was actually scary for me to think this is the most I've ever spent with my kids. And uh, so I was in this mind at first. I was like, Oh no, I got to run my office. I got to run my business. Um, my staff can't do everything when this happens." So I was like trying to be a dad figuring out this podcast thing, um, a business owner and dad and, and my kids were annoying me everything they were doing. Uh, my wife was annoying me because she had to work, which shouldn't annoy me. Everything was until I just like paused and I was like, maybe the greatest like investment, so to speak, I can give is my kids my attention right now. Mm-hmm. And as uh, soon as I made that decision, like my staff had been so helpful, but uh, I just had this like different thought about yeah, like in my being the best dad I can be, and just by coincidence, uh, I'm taking a financial psychology. Uh, postgraduate course right now Mm -hmm. and they got us to write a legacy letter to our kids so that's why your question just like hit me is like it was a letter that we want to what impression when we're old 90 years old looking back at our kids what lessons did we teach them in our life like it's a financial course but it's more about like life and money so to answer your question is like um as a dad now i i spending time with my kids, I'm realizing that just being in the moment and being present with them is the best investment. Um, Sure. Saving for their education and making an excuse. Like I would tell myself I'm saving for their, their education and you know, so they don't have to have financial stress when they're doing that. But maybe that's not as important as just sitting them and cheering them on, jumping on their little trampoline in the house right now. Yeah. So that's something that I'm battling with is like, when I look at myself at 90 years old, what things did I think myself for doing financially even? And maybe it's not working the extra hours. I don't know. Yeah. I don't. So I don't, I'm, I'm battling with that one.
0: Yeah. And, and my personal opinion is, I don't think that we necessarily have to force it on them because I think if you force it on them, they're more likely to refract. But I think yeah. if you, if you spend good quality time with you and they respect you and they respect the decisions that you made, and then, you know, as as they turn into young adults, um, I think that if they admire what you did and they admire the kind of person you are, they're more likely to reflect than mm-hmm. to refract. Yeah, totally. Um, it, because I don't want to say I didn't quite admire, but I, I didn't want to accept. Um, you know what I grew up the the, the the financial education I was given with, so the, I, mm-hmm. I I chose to refract and. Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right about this whole, you know, COVID and isolation thing that, um, you know, taking advantage Mm -hmm. of spending time with your kids is is super important right now. Um, Mm -hmm. Me personally, I've been a lot more busy and and you kind of, you kind of gave me a moment there where I realized that I should be, you know, a lot more focused on that because this is, man, this is one of the, you will never get one of these again. Yeah, it's really bad and a lot of people are going to be affected by this, but you will never get an opportunity to spend this much time with your kids ever again. And you, mm-hmm. you, gotta, you really got to appreciate that.
1: Yeah. And, and that's where I bring it back to the financial side is that what is more important and making that extra money right now. And sure we, we have to work, we have to work like mm-hmm. fill our roles we have a commitment, but uh, our kids are going to remember how they felt during this time as a four year old, he probably won't remember. The specifics, maybe, I don't know, but I I know he'll remember how he felt. And then when he learns about it in school later on, I'm sure this will be in the curriculum that yeah, yeah, I just want to make sure that my investment right now is the kids. Um, but in terms of money, like he got a hundred dollars from some people from his birthday the other, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And so I always have to be careful that I don't project how I feel like he should learn about money. Right. Um, but so we kind of just said, okay, you got your money. Um, he wanted to go to the toy store, but I said, toy stores are closed uh, with COVID, we call it. Of course. <laughs> uh, and he's like, oh. And then I told him, but we can we can take a bit of that and buy something online. And he's got a piggy bank. And like we've traveled a bit with our kids, so he likes traveling. He's like, okay, well, I'm going to save some for Morocco. I don't know why, but he wants to go to Morocco. I was like, good. And I'm like, but maybe we want to go to school or like kindergarten. Cause he knows what kindergarten is. And I'm like, right. we should save some for kindergarten. He's like, yeah. So we kind of like did a four thing. Like he could spend some, save some for kindergarten traveling. Mm. And then we said, we should buy a present for our friend and give something away. Contribution. And, wow. Yeah. And, and he was like totally into it. So, um, and we bought a $12 toy on Amazon and I didn't split it 25% equally, but maybe yeah. I should have. <laughs>
0: That's so cool. That's so cool. Okay. We got to talk Bruce Springsteen. Okay. Okay. And to preface this, we met, we had a little moment for Bruce Springsteen. Uh, it, like we realized that we both were huge fans and we have not talked about it since. So this is completely authentic and natural. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And another thing I'm going to say is that there's probably only one person that I think listened to this podcast that's actually going to enjoy this. The rest of the people are probably just going to tune out. <laughs> But I gotta know what what turned you on to Bruce. No, Springsteen? No, how, no, no. Hang no. on. How old are you? I'm 34.
1: How old are you
0: 30, I'm 34 too. Is there anything else we haven't common? Oh. Yeah. When's your birthday? When's your birthday? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> January 30th.
1: Okay, May 11th.
0: Okay, so we're not we're not perfect.
1: No. <laughs> okay, so what turned you on to Bruce Springsteen? Okay, but just I gotta make a comment. Everybody should listen to this and then we'll make yes. a whole bunch of new Springsteen fans. Cause they should be. Uh, so what turned him on to me? was actually my, my, my dad and brothers. Um, they're, my two brothers are super musical. They love music. They know everything music inside and out. My dad, um, always played music as a kid and just in the house playing Springsteen. And then my brothers kind of like got a resurgent of Springsteen and we started playing more and more as we got a bit older before we all left the, my parents' house. Mm-hmm. And it just reminds me of like my family, my dad, my brothers. And, um, yeah, it was my family. It's
0: just a connection early on that you guys had that thing, that one thing in common. You always, that's amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was so cool. And uh, just a little story on that. So we had all seen Springsteen numerous of times, but my dad has never seen Springsteen. Really? Well, this was, this is if I'm telling this story in 2013, he had never seen him. So right. then we got together. We're like, you know what? This is crazy. Like dad raised us. He brought us up. Uh, he never went to Springsteen concert. I don't know why. Maybe they're expensive traveling. He's buying us hockey skates and all this other things parents do. Right. In Springsteen. So let's surprise him and take him to go see Springsteen. So he was playing at new orleans jazz fest i've seen him twice down there it's so great but uh so we we did a whole family trip my my two brothers my mom and dad and my wife and we went down there and saw bruce springsteen uh, live for 3 hours in the scorching new orleans sun we had to wait 8 hours to get like right by like the like he's got his like vip section we weren't part of yeah. that another like barricade right behind it we were like mm-hmm in the hot sun waiting and it was so good it was so so good
0: that's that's yeah. so cool I um i I ne- no one ever told me about bruce springsteen and, and and if you ask anyone about Bruce Springsteen it's like born in the USA or like Cadillac ranch you know what I mean that's that's the bubble gum yeah um stereotypical songs and, and you listen to those and not my favorite <laughs> um because the 80s yeah. stuff in my opinion wasn't the greatest Uh actually you know maybe mm-hmm. if it was written in the 60s or 70s it might have been different but just the whole yeah. 80s sound it it it, yeah. it didn't work um, I was in high school and I had a subscription to it like a music magazine and uh, it wasn't Rolling Stone but they had like Bruce Springsteen on the cover and it was like the hundred greatest Bruce Springsteen songs and I'm like okay oh nice I Checked it out and I went through them all, and I started like and I was I was big into you know into to classic rock at that time I had a classic rock cover band Oh, nice. My band wasn't into it, but I I slowly started getting an appreciation for it. It's it's kind of an acquired appreciation, right? It's, yeah. It's it's not like anything else, right? And especially if you're considering what most people think Bruce Springsteen is, and that's like mm-hmm. born in the USA. You know, we weren't we weren't about to cover that song. <laughs> no, did you do any
1: covers? Any Springsteen covers? We
0: never did any. Never they wouldn't, eh? Hey? No, they weren't interested. But as, as they started growing, uh, older, it just other uh, more and more and more and more. And I've just been hooked ever since I think it was like 16, 17 years old.
1: Oh, um, nice.
0: yeah. Just like completely. It, it's always, you know, it's always been my thing. My wife, she, she'll listen to Bruce, <laughs> but she's, you know, like she, that's, that's nice honey. <laughs> but yeah, like,
1: yeah, same. she'd come to a concert,
0: but she wouldn't, you know, she wouldn't tattoo Bruce.
1: Did I she guess. go to a concert? <laughs>
0: uh, no, we we we've never been to one. Oh, I, it's so it's, it is. He's always playing in the states. Yeah, it's, I know. And now when you got a kid, yeah, right, it's yeah. um. I've seen so many concerts at Edmonton, yeah. so many. Yeah, but he's never come here, so no. I've never been able to see him. But um, I'm thinking like I'm gonna I'm gonna plan a vacation around it. I'm gonna plan a vacation somewhere in the states where we're gonna check out that place and see him.
1: If he tours again with the E Street Band, it's just like a a necessity for someone like yourself who's gone. It is, your wife will turn, she'll get that tattoo after the concert. It's it's something that, his concerts are amazing. Like the energy is just like insane. And like, yeah.
0: Trying to explain that to someone. Yeah. Like, I love Bruce's music, but... Live is completely oh, different. It's yeah. it's so and you know what it is? It's that big band experience. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a lot like Dave Dave Matthews as, as a yeah. very similar experience, right? He's got yeah. that big band, all these cool instruments, everybody's playing, doing their own thing. They're all amazing musicians, and that's it's that yeah. They, they create that element. It's it's a it's it's an amazing show. I mean, obviously the ones that I've seen, you know, on video. One of these days I'm gonna get. Yeah. It. Uh, okay. Yeah. Favorite song.
1: You know what? This is silly, but it, it, it is born to run and it's one of his most famous ones. And two reasons why is because when I first started hiring people, one of the questions I would ask them was like, what's your favorite or first I'd ask them if you had to do a Ted talk, what would it be and why? And then the next question is like, when they ask you, when they call your name out, you need a theme song that represents your life and why. Oh, okay. and, and then I was like, wait, wait what's mine? And then I was going through and I'm like, and born to run just kept coming out of my head. And so like, I mean, if anyone knows Springsteen, they, like this is like the most um, played song. Yeah. It always plays it at the end and uh, just the messaging in it. And like, as I've become more and more looking at the whole money thing and like, what is society's script in this rat race, the lyrics starts like going more and more in my head. Like, um, i mean i i I'm gonna mess up a, a lyric here, but yeah something about the when he says like in the uh, um what is it in the in the day we sweat it out and run away yeah. American dream something out on out the to? streets yeah in an
0: American run away, runaway American dream. dream.
1: And, and like that just starts speaking to me. It's like, wait, the America dream is this white picket house. This mm-hmm. doing things like a lemming in line, in line. But the whole song is about run, Like born to run. And uh, when he talks about like sprung from cages out on highway nine, um, like just talking about going down highway nine, like getting out of town, getting out of that rat race and going to do something differently. Um, it, it's playing. It's like, I don't know. It's coming back to me. And then uh, my son, he kind of knew that song a little bit. And um, we did a music video during COVID. Yeah, I got him a little drum kit. And he's like drumming with a bandana on leather coat (laughs) and a little four-year-old. And so now it's just like, uh, I don't know. It's like my theme song for me and my kid about like, yeah, just not falling in line and doing what everyone does the American Dream, white picket fence and Mm. like get on your get in your car and just cruise down the highway and get creating out of your own path. Yeah. So yeah, that one
0: favorite live song,
1: favorite live song. Cause it's
0: completely um, different for live. It's
1: completely different live. He does a pretty good, uh, born to run, but favorite lines live song. I have a uh, specific moments of a favorite live song. So waiting on a sunny day. Yeah. Um, he, when the first time we were down in new Orleans, we were like, this wasn't with my family. It was my friend. We were right by the divider from the VIP and the rest of the people we are in the rest of the people, but he was like sweating. Like, I don't know if you've seen live, he like sweats yeah. profusely. He like crowd surfs all the way to that meridian. And we were like right there in front of him yeah. and he's just dripping sweat. The sun is setting in new Orleans and he's just like, everyone's singing, waiting on a sunny day. Yeah. And he grabs this kid out of the crowd, right? Like right in front of us. Yeah and the kid starts to sing it and my friend takes a picture of the kid and um lo and behold we're leaving like three days later at the airport my friend's like that's that kid goes over there gives and he's like oh we saw you check out this picture there's a picture of bruce springsteen holding this kid with a mic and smiling at him. he's like man i didn't have a picture so he texted to him and <laughs> so now like that's like a huge song i love that song now It's just yeah. a good overall song and uh another one would be the rising I said, yeah. when he played the rising i had i've only seen him play that once and it was awesome That's awesome. I, but but 10th avenue freeze out is that's so that's cool. mine yeah yeah,
0: yeah. the end the intro live for that because it's it's kind of one of those songs that you know recorded it's good but it's yeah. not but live is just oh, yeah. amazing
1: have you seen live and, in new york album um i've seen them all yeah. yeah it's like the 14 minute version of uh 10th avenue and he's just yeah. like yeah, it's so like when he introduces the band in that part, and it's mm. so so good. Uh, I'm,
0: I'm gonna, I might, I might piss you off here, and wow, I mean, for anyone who is, I, I hope people actually go out and listen to Brunspring. Bruce, I hope so. Pre- like after this, right? This is that moment where they're like, oh, I'm gonna go give him a shot, and then you know, listen to him. He's got a serious uh, XM channel. Yep. Um, you can they, they can check that out, but um, I'm not a big fan of anything after the river. I'm I'm in early Springsteen. Yeah, fan. I I love the early stuff. I love the yeah. 1970s yeah. Uh, concerts. They were just were oh. the- pre 80s pre pre money where they started making money. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would I'd say I'd say Wild and Innocent is probably my favorite album.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Nice. Yours? What? Um, I would go to. I I, I have this like. I'm just biased and I've even tried not to have it for born in the USA, but I do or the river. Um, I, I like the river cause it's a little Rocky. Um, mm-hmm. I like the river song. It's really cool. I really enjoy that song. It's a great
0: album. It, the sound yeah. started changing a little bit, mm-hmm. It started getting a little more eighties. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's where it started. Um, cause there was, there was a specific song on the river that I can't quite remember um, that, that really, segued into born in the usa mm-hmm.
1: but um, uh but one of the, uh i've never seen him play this live but just going back to your the the wild innocent album, you like rosalita those yeah. old videos of him playing out in the 70s just insane <laughs> like oh i <laughs> love that song
0: uh, uh, what's the song that they always uh they always uh, pair with rosalita it's uh i'm uh, not new york City. it's at, uh oh man i'm brain dead it's not new york city serenade it's um
1: Oh, Instant on fifty seven.
0: That's what it is. Instant fifty seven. Yeah. yeah, That combination is just an amazing. Combination. Yeah, you can't it's... you can't listen to them separately.
1: No, I forget what um. I think it was on the Born to Run remastered box set. They have a the clip of like a CD of like all his old concerts. I don't know if it was Arizona or something in the seventies, mm. but he's playing that song and he just like gets tackled by all these girls and they're just like kissing him and he just hops up. He's like. goes right back into rosalina and like he's just crazy he's like taking his shirt off and like dancing on the speakers and
0: (sighs) my 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 teenage self you know that 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 dream of being that rock star like bruce springsteen was the guy if you could be that guy the lead singer guitarist that was just my dream i'm like that is the guy that i want to be just yeah. Rocking out for hours, dripping sweat, women everywhere <laughs> with a big yeah. band, with a big cool know, band. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not a three piece.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, they have this one video from sorry, this is getting uh, people are, no, they should listen to this live in Hyde Park in London. Yeah. Um but oh, I can't remember the song. It might have been um Jungle Land, but he just like looks back at the band and like speaking to the big band, like massive band during that concert, yeah. but he just like looks at it and he just, I don't know. He's like shaking his head. He's just like, yeah, look what I've created. And like, it just <laughs> looks so cool. I'm like, that is so neat. Like he's like created this. There's like 75,000 people watching. Um, yeah. and I don't know. He just looks so proud. Yeah. And, like the band has stuck together for so long.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, they, they split up late. Oh yeah, late in the 90s, 90s, right? yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But, like, that's now that's when about... money started getting involved. Yeah. Obviously I can't imagine yeah. what, <sighs> How, how you, how you split the money on a big band like that. I've always, no. I've always wondered even with like Dave Matthews band, you know, it's another great example. And when you got 12 members or 10 members, like who do yeah. you justify as the most important?
1: Yeah. I don't know what they do. Like split down. I don't know. Can you imagine? So if you don't, uh, can you okay. imagine
0: being the pianist or the keyboard player? You know what I mean? You are a member of the band and yet mm-hmm. you only get like 2% royalty.
1: Yeah. I wonder what they do. Yeah. Cause yeah. Um, so you're not a fan of the 90s stuff when he uh, came out with the good? Tom, Tom Jode was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Jode was yeah. good. What's that? I can't even remember the name of that album that there's a song called like 57 Channels and Nothing On, something like oh, that. It's and horrible. he's just like...
0: Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and there's that Sirius XM channel. They're, they're so fair. They play all of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, they, they play way too much of that 90s stuff. Um, yeah but uh next time he does go on tour we are going together
1: come i swear i'm going i've told my wife it's like time is he's born 1949 uh like yeah i mean the guy's in phenomenal shape but you know he's getting old so Mm -hmm. yes i don't care where it is i'm going
0: Absolutely. Me too. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's so great to be in a position in my life where I can actually say something like that confidently financially yeah. or like, yep, yeah, uh, it doesn't matter. I will, uh, I can justify that for sure. Yeah.
1: Well, and you know, to that point, going back to money and going back to the whole iceberg thing of what's underneath, that's a thing that I've actually recognized. Cause like we went and saw him in New York city and Broadway, we spent 400 bucks for a ticket. And
0: that was the, the one man show.
1: Yeah. One man show. It was like amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, not a Springsteen concert because there's no E Street bands, but right. it was like a it was a play. But I went with my two brothers, which was just insanely fun. But um, we spent 400 bucks on a ticket, and like on the surface that looks insane, but that's where like I've this whole iceberg thing of what's below it, and to me below it is spending time with my family, doing things that I can control and energy creating things, or just some personal values that I have. And yeah, it sounds crazy, but to me what I've started reframing after understanding my money stories, my money scripts crazy to me would be me. I don't like cars at all would be like spending 400, 500 bucks every month on a car payment versus I just drive a 2011 old car. That's, you know, no payments. Right. So that's what I think is so cool about money and experiences and designing things is when we understand what we really, really want, Mm -hmm. then you can spend 400 bucks on a, on a, a Springsteen ticket, if it means that much to you, if you're not doing these other things that don't mean as much, but we're just unconsciously spending money because that's what we do. We need this. We need that or whatever. So yeah, I brought it back I, to money, but
0: Oh no, I, I really, that's a great segue and it's a great way to wind things down because you're right. We buy things for, for what people to, to look good. Right. To, mm-hmm. Cause we're worried about what people are going to think about us and we buy things instinctively because we think that they're going to bring us happiness. But mm-hmm. you know, buying crap off Amazon or buying, going down to Canadian tire on Sundays and grabbing the flyer and you know what I mean? Buying things because they're 50% off doesn't make you happy. It's focusing mm-hmm. on the things that, you know, your values and the things that are most important to you. Mm-hmm. And Bruce's music speaks to you. It's very, like yeah, yeah. It, it goes as deep as to the relationship oh, as yeah. a child with your dad and your yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah. like, that's deep. That's yeah, super yeah. important. So yeah, absolutely. Put all mm. your money into something like that. Something that's going to like, that's going to, that's going to light you up. Something's going to make you grow as
1: opposed to yeah, buying yeah. shit yeah right? <laughs> it's true and it's hard because marketers want us to feel like we need these things mm-hmm. but i think when you do that deep dive and figure out what do i actually want and it's always a journey because like you can instantly get back you know to an old pattern if you don't like that pattern but when you have that lens on like hey this is why i make money like for me and my wife we always talk about having a uh, a financial why it's like why do we make money why do we trade our finite Time for money, and for me, it sounds cheesy, but it's to experience life's beautiful moments, you know. That's yeah. what I want to spend my money on. And when now I have a lens for that, it's easy for me to say no to this. It's easy for me to say no to this, very without simple, that, quick decisions, yeah. Right. But without that, you know, the marketers can convince you you need this instantly. And I gotta say something, I'm not saying it's bad to have a car, like a, a car, right. it Just it's personal. <laughs>
0: They're a horrible but, depreciating asset. Like, let's just, let's I, just call it. Yeah,
1: okay. <laughs> okay. Cars are, I wrote a blog on that. And it's, yeah. Well, you <laughs> but you had a I'm, point. <laughs> uh, yeah. I had a point. I'm not judging someone on that. I'm making right.
0: an observation. <laughs> hey, maybe, maybe it reminds them of some time they had with their dad where they it totally. as a young age, but yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, buying a $60,000 car just because you think that some girl's going to think that you're or it's going to make you look cooler to your friends is is absolutely dumb. If you do the math.
1: That being said, if Bruce Springsteen's car from when he was in Asbury park in Jersey shore was for sale, maybe
0: (laughs) hands down. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And, and, and to tie it all up, you know, having a good understanding of, 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 you know, making good sound financial decisions and having all the water underneath the iceberg, you know, in check, that's going to help you make those, macro decisions for finance, totally. you know, for investments and stuff like that so much easier. Right. Because mm-hmm. if you don't got, if you don't got your spending in control, it doesn't matter what you go and invest in or what you, you know, totally. if you put all your money and your savings to because under the water you're making bad decisions, you know,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally.
0: it may look good up here, but it's not looking good down there.
1: And I think that's where a lot of stress and um, just And and just not being happy comes from it. It's like, if under the water, you're uh, not happy, but above, like, say, you know, you have these flashy things, you're like, Mm -hmm. why don't I feel good? I got this, I got this, I got this, but like, it's like an internal dilemma. And I think that that's dangerous. There's actually a study that looked at um, super wealthy people is defined as $5 million liquid money. Mm -hmm. They're 20% more likely to have depression than average income earners. And it's because they have this like fallacy that once I get this money, I'm going to be happy. Mm-hmm. But like, you can't, uh, what's that saying? You can't put the cart before the horse. I think sure. I mean, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but like, if they don't know what makes them happy, collecting all this money is not going to actually make them happy. And that's that whole thing below the iceberg. So I think that's a big message I have is like figuring out what actually makes us happy. Why do we have this thing called money? And then just using that, To do, you know, the things that make us happy, time with Mm -hmm. our family, buying Bruce Springsteen's old car, whatever it is.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So let's let's assume that someone listened to this podcast. They got past the Bruce Springsteen portion. Yeah. And (laughs) and 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 now they're woke. You know what I mean? Now they've had at that moment, they realize like, oh shit, I really do need to get my 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 thoughts and, and and everything in order. Uh I need to be better. I need to know what it is exactly that that lights me up. And I need to know, you know what's important to me. Um, What kind of literature do you recommend? Do you have any books or any blogs or anything that, you know, let's say they want to figure out what it is that's important to them and and why Mm -hmm. they're making those decisions. Do you have any resources Mm -hmm. that you would refer them to?
1: Yeah. I, I, uh, the first exercise though, I would say is like if people envision themselves at 90 years old, looking back at their life and questioning what did they think themselves for doing, Financially and just overall in life. I think that's a big, powerful way to kind of like, if you feel like, oh, I want more of this, that's a good way to get deep in those emotions. So it's, and if you have kids thinking about what would my kids be proud of me? But uh, as for literature, I think Dr. Brad Klontz is really good. It, it, some of it's pretty uh, academic, but it's really good. So Dr. Brad Klontz, he's got a website that he posted little YouTube videos. Um, the most hated effort podcast. It's yeah. going to be exploring a whole bunch of these topics. I have some financial therapists coming up uh, that we've done some great interviews on uh, these, this very same topics in terms of a book. Um, I would say in light of this conversation about like being woke up, Kyle sees book, the illusion of money, mm-hmm. would be a good one. And he talks a lot about like, why are we, chasing someone else's dream for money and putting ours off? And what is the opportunity cost really of that? So I I would say those two, Dr. Brad Klont's um, website, and then Kyle C's book, The Illusion of Money.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I'm gonna go check those ones out because mm-hmm. that's um, I still need. I have a lot of work that I need to do personally. I, I'm pretty mm-hmm. good with my finances, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I I slip just like you said. Totally, I slip right. all the time, and I and I make emotional decisions um, mm-hmm. or instinctive decisions. But um, I think that's a terrific spot to wind down. Sean, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. If anyone's interested in looking you up, where do they find you?
1: Um, the most hated F com. I have a website. I have some blog posts. Uh, my podcast is going to be posted on there. So on Apple and Spotify, the most hated F com, or just search up the most hated F word. Um, yeah, those are the two good spots, but you know, I think it's really cool what you're doing because, um, I don't know for sure, but I get from your brand is that, I mean, look at the title of your podcast is that I look at your podcast and what your conversations are about is, yeah, you're doing real estate to make some money, but I'm assuming, uh, according to the brand, it's like for the family life as well. Like mm-hmm. you do so that you can flourish, so to speak with your family, which I think Why that's are you super doing important. It, right? That's a uh, below the water stuff. So anyways, mm-hmm. I like what you're doing. Uh, I appreciate you know, that. There's a lot of people. Yeah. So good job.
0: Oh, thanks buddy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you again.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: I'll see you next time.